This is a subtle joke. It's a one-liner. If you if you if you blink, you miss it. Was that it? <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was over. <laughs> you know, I, I can just skip it. I got to laugh already. I can go on. No, I always try to say a joke that should get us thinking in the right direction. Okay. So, I have a pretentious friend who says he's having an identity crisis. Who does he think he is? Yeah? Okay. Oh. All right. So, subject today is identity. Identity, yeah. Specifically, yeah, identity in terms of what? A little hakira here, a little philosophical query. In, into the nature of, obviously, when I speak about identity, and you know, in, in the context of, of Torah, in a, in a class like this, when we say identity, what do we mean? We mean Jewish identity, mm-hmm. of course. So what is Jewish identity? There are two ways of looking at Jewish identity. One way is, is there a people called the Jews, and they are, this people is made up of individuals, or are there individual Jews which make up this people, which is called the Jewish people? In other words, do the Jews make up the Jewish people, or are, is the Jewish people made up of Jews? Okay, you're going to say both. Okay, and, and that's generally the Jewish answer to any question. Is it, th- is it A or is it B? Yes. Okay. But the question is, is there a particular way that we're supposed to look at it? In other words, maybe, okay, if if you'll permit me for a moment. There are different types of societies in the world. Um, But in general, we can talk about collectivist societies and individualistic societies. There are collectivistic societies. Societies that, that collectivism, they, 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 they emphasize the importance of the society, of the group, of the whole, and the individual is supposed to defer his or her personal um, fulfillment and goals for the greater good. Um, you know, you have like a totalitarian society where it's very much, you know, the, the agenda of the state and the individuals are there to serve the state. And then you have, let's say, the exact opposite extreme. You have a very, very like libertarian society, like like the United States, especially today as it's evolved, where it's very much into individualistic identity, individualistic rights, and uh, you know that we're very much into the the state is here not to interfere with my personal fulfillment, but to you know stay out of the way of that. I mean, that's at least the the political philosophy culturally speaking, historically speaking, of the United States, that would be an individualistic society. So the question is like this. From a Torah perspective, is Jewish identity collectivist or individualist? Okay. So we're going to go to the first mitzvah that the Jewish people performed, which is in this week's Parsha. Parsha's Bay. Parsha's Bay takes place before the Jews <coughs> leave Egypt. And they are given, actually the, the exodus itself happens within Parsha's boy, but the bulk of the Parsha, they have not yet left Egypt. And Moshe is given a commandment that the Jewish people are to bring a sacrifice, a Pesach offering, a Korban Pesach, uh, a lamb, 
And that is the first mitzvah that the Jewish, the Jewish people perform. Now, just parenthetically, is it the first mitzvah? It's not the first mitzvah. You could argue that hachodesh hazel lochem, that the mitzvah of this month, meaning the month of redemption, the month of Nisan, shall be for you the first of months, when Hashem told Moshe to establish the new moon uh, in, in, in that month before they left Egypt, that that was the first mitzvah. The first mitzvah is to keep the calendar, the lunar-based calendar. Um, According to the Kli Yakar, the purpose of establishing the lunar calendar at that time was only in order to be able to have a date on which to bring the Pesach offering. So really the first mitzvah is the Pesach offering, and even establishing the calendar was just to be able to know when to do that. Um, but at the very least, even if you say that the lunar calendar was the first mitzvah and Korban Pesach was the second mitzvah, Korban Pesach is the first korban, the first offering, the first sacrifice the Jewish people brought, and it is in that way also sort of archetypical, a first, and thus sets the tone for everything that comes after it. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Korban Pesach as the first mitzvah, or at the very least the first offering that the Jewish people bring. And from that, we're going to try to understand if Jewish identity is primarily an emphasis on the collective or on the individual. So far, so good? Okay. A little bit of background about carbones, about offerings. We're not going to get too technical. On a very basic level, there are two types of offerings in general. A korban yochid and a korban tzibur an individual offering and a communal offering. What's the difference? Maybe let's talk about communal offering first. Uh, because communal offerings are, 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 are constant. There's something called a tamid, a constant offering. First korban in the morning, last korban toward the evening um, is called a tamid, the constant offering. That is brought on behalf of the entire Jewish people. Um, the funds were paid for from a flat tax, which was collected from everyone equally. There are other times when the rich give more, the poor give less. This was a flat tax, half shekel. Um, and it's done on behalf of the entire Jewish people. Obviously, the entire Jewish people are not present when the korban is brought, because that would just not be possible to have everyone there. They were representatives of the Jewish people who would stand there when the korban was brought. Um, but the point is, the Tomid is an example of an offering that is brought on behalf of the entire nation. I'll give you another example, a Musaf. A Musaf offering is brought on behalf of the entire nation. It's not, it's not anybody's personal offering. A Musaf is brought, it's the, a Musaf means additional, it's the additional offering that's brought on Rosh Chodesh or on Shabbos or on Yom Tif. That's a communal offering. Okay. In contrast, you have personal offerings. What's a, what's a personal offering? Okay, so let's say you crossed the ocean and you survived and you want to give thanks or you're obligated to give thanks. A korban, toida, toda, thank you, thanksgiving offering. That's a personal offering. You survived. You're, you're grateful. You have to bring a, a sacrifice to, to show your, your gratitude. Okay, or let's say korban chatas. You did a sin. You want to make good. You want to restore your relationship with Hashem. You bring your Sin offering, your korban chatas. That's an individual offering. Okay? That distinction is clear? Now, one practical difference. Practical difference is this. Whether or not that korban may be brought on a Shabbos or on a Yom Tif. But uh, the question of whether 
the carbon pushes off the prohibitions of malacha, of, of, of labor. Um, if you want to bring a personal offering, it does not push off the prohibitions of malacha, of work, on Shabbos. And you are told, bring it, you know, come back Sunday. Bring it another time. A korban tzibur, a communal offering, pushes off Shabbos. In fact, if, if, if a korban tzibur, which is supposed to be given on Shabbos, is not given on Shabbos, there's no makeup. You have to do it on Shabbos. Or, you know, the best example is, is the Shabbos Musaf. That's a, that's, a, that's a korban that's specifically instituted to be brought on Shabbos, right? Okay. So the difference is an individual offering is not locked into a specific time, so come back later. Um, you know, it's sort of, I'll give you an example that maybe we can relate to a little bit more, because unfortunately we don't relate to the Korbanes, but a bris. A bris pushes off Shabbos, even though it entails malacha, certain labors that are in violation of Shabbos, but the bris pushes off uh, the Shabbos, because it's a mitzvah to give the bris. Um, however, if it's not on time, it's already not on time, so then we push it off. So think about it like that. If it has to be done at a certain time, so it pushes off Shabbos. If it doesn't have to be done at a certain time, it doesn't. Korban Yachid is, you know, it's just you. Come back another time. But a Korban Tzibur is more affixed in its time, and it doesn't push off Shabbos. Okay, now, with that background, I'm going to tell you a story. There was once a crisis. It was a big crisis. of Pesach, meaning the day when the Korban Pesach is brought, fell on a Shabbos. And nobody knew what to do. They didn't know if you should bring that sacrifice, if the sacrifice pushes off Shabbos, or if it has, or the sacrifice gets deferred because of Shabbos. Why? Because they couldn't figure out if the Korban Pesach is Tzibor Yochid, if it's an individual or a communal offering. Because there's an aspect of the Korban Pesach, which adheres to both. On one hand, it's very much a Korban Yochid, an individual offering, because everyone has to do it. Everyone has to do it. You have to partake in a sacrifice. There are certain, you have to register for it, you have to go in on one lamb, each household, or you know, com combined households, and every individual has to eat from the lamb. You have to eat that kezayis, that, uh, that ounce of meat. In fact, on, on the, on the, on the, on the Seder night, you know, the extra kezayis that we eat is to represent there's the kezayis we eat, that's the matzah, the chiyav of eating matzah, and then there's the extra, which represents the, the, the meat from the, from, the, from the lamb that we would have been eating. So that's very much, in that way, an individualistic offering. On the other hand, um, everybody does it, and it's all at the same time. It's not because like, something happened special to you. It's, it's a certain date, and it's a date for the entire nation. Mm -hmm. So on that, in that way, it's sort of very much a, a collective offering, communal offering. So they didn't know what to do. Came Hillel... Hillel the Babylonian, and Hillel had been the student of Shmaya and of Talyain. Shmaya and of Talyain were Gede Tzedek, they were righteous converts who became the great transmitters of the oral tradition in their generation. And they taught, they taught a generation, but Hillel was their great uh, disciple. Hillel, we know the stories about his self-sacrifice to study from Shmaya of Talion. He actually, when there was an admission fee charged at the base medrash, he climbed up on the roof and he learned through the skylight 
So at any rate, when the uh, Bnei Becerra, the heads of the Sanhedrin, the high court, could not establish, could not determine the nature of the Korban Pesach in order to figure out whether or not this year it should push off Shabbos or Shabbos should push off it, came Hillel and said like this. Guys, there's an aspect of the Korban Pesach which is like a communal offering. There's an aspect that's like an individual offering because of the aspect that it's like a communal offering. I've received a tradition that it pushes off Shabbos. And we do bring the Korban Pesach on Shabbos. When Ed of Pesach falls on Shabbos, you do bring the Korban. And in fact, many of us are probably familiar with the famous adage saying of Hillel, which is in Pirkeovis, right? Im ein ani li mi li, if I'm not for myself, who will be? Im ein ani elul atzmi, mo ani. And if I am only for myself, what am I? Ve'im le'achshav emosai, and if not now, when? So that has many different levels of meaning. One of them is homiletically Hillel talking about the Korban Pesach itself. Yeah, <laughs> what is he saying? If I'm, if I'm not for myself, meaning if I don't bring a Korban Pesach individually, who will bring it for me? Every individual Jew has to be, be involved in bringing Korban Pesach. On the other hand, if I'm only for myself... What am I? If I'm the only one bringing it, as if it were an individual offering, that's not what Korban Pesach is. It's something that all the Jews do together. And therefore, if not now, meaning when, even when, Erev Pesach falls on Shabbos, when are you supposed to do it? Obviously, you do it right now. So that three rhetorical questions, also on another level, homiletically refers to his clarification that you do bring the Korban Pesach on an Erev Shabbos. So what do we see from this? the very first act we did as Jews comes out and establishes that it is impossible to say that we are purely collectivist or purely individualist. There is an inextricable interweaving of the two and that is Jewish identity. Now, how are we supposed to apply that in life? So here's the idea. That from the point of view of the individual, Jewish identity is the community. From the point of view of the community, Jewish identity is the individual. And if you got what I mean, then that's it. I don't have to say another word. But if you need clarification, what does that mean? What's a healthy individual? A healthy individual cannot live for himself. A healthy individual has to be self-transcendent. A healthy individual puts aside his own interests and lives for a greater cause. So, ironically, when is the individual most sustainable? Not when the individual tries to focus on its own, his or her own self-perpetuation, but rather sets aside its own self-interests and becomes greater than himself, greater than herself, and, and pursues a, 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 greater, a greater good. The mm-hmm. Elimelech Milizhensk, when uh, he had returned from two years of wandering, of self-imposed exile, he was entering into the town, and as he was entering the town, he saw somebody he knew, and the, the person saw him, 
and then sort of looked very somber and said, oh, I'm sorry, you probably don't know that your son, Lazerke, is not well. So Rabbi Elimelech came home. He hadn't seen his wife in two years. And he says, I just heard that Lazerke is not well. What's wrong? And she says, no, Baruch Hashem, Lazerke, he's in Cheder, he's fine. So he says, no, please tell me. I know that Lazerke is not well. No, Baruch Hashem, Lazerke is in Cheder, he's fine. I heard that he's not well. Tell, tell me what's wrong. Where did you hear he's not well? And Rabbi Elimelech tells the story. So then his wife puts two and two together. She says, ah, that, whoever told you that is mistaken. <clears throat> There's another Lazerka, a neighbor. He's not well, yeah, unfortunately. Nebuch is not very not well. Yeah, that's true. Rebeli Melech looks at his wife and says, I need permission to go back into exile. He says, after two years of wandering, which was supposed to bring me to a higher level of self-refinement, I felt relief when I knew that it was a different Lazerka. What difference should it make to me, whether it's our child who's not well or the neighbor's child who's not well? I see that I still need to refine myself. Because ultimately, what, what does it mean that the individual has to set aside his or her own agenda and interests and live for the greater good? It really means that there's that sense of what hurts any other member of this nation hurts me, it affects me. You know, there's the famous story, well-known story, about the Mendel Bayless blood libel, that uh, after decades, centuries of the blood libel being completely phased out, um, in the 1900s there was, a, there was a return of a blood libel against Mendel Bayless, and uh, it was a famous trial that went on for a very long time, very highly covered in the media, and... Uh, Anyways, one of the charges was, of course, the, the, he killed this, this Ukrainian non-Jewish boy because the Jews' Talmud per permits them to take non-Jews' lives because they don't regard them as human. Like, where does it say that? Oh, because the passage says, Atem kriyim Adam. You, the Jewish people, are called Adam. Adam means man. So by, by inference, you're calling other people not human. So that obviously doesn't say that, but how, they, how did they defend it? So they went to the mayor Shapiro, and he was part of the defense team. And he explained, what did he explain? That, he said, this little boy was murdered, not by the defendant, but by someone. This family gets up every day, they don't have their child, but let, let me ask you, did life move on for the rest of their village? Did life move on for the rest of the Ukraine? It did. And yet, my defendant, Mendel Bayless, he sits on trial, and every single morning, every Jew in the world, whether he's in Paris or New York or Buenos Aires, opens up the newspaper, and the first thing he does is find out what's going on with Mendel Bayless, as if he himself is on trial. He says, you want to know what it means? You are called Adam. Adam doesn't mean a people. Adam means a person. Adam, a person. You, Atem, plural, the Jewish people, Krim Adam, are called a person. There's not a people called the Jews. There's a person called the Jews. There's one guy. The Jewish people are one guy. Whatever happens to one Jew, it's happening to all Jews all over the world. There's a, there's a story. Hmm? No, the child was found dead. It was murdered. No, the trial. Oh, the trial? Oh, he's acquitted in the end. Yeah. Um, 
I actually moved to America afterwards. That, by the way, that should, by, it was over 100 years ago, and you're sitting on Spilkis in five towns in 2020. <laughs> what happened to Mendel Bayless? <laughs> it doesn't just transcend space, it transcends time. That's that, that if you need, you don't need any greater proof than that. That's what it means that individualist identity gives way to collectivist identity. That what's happening to any other member of this nation, it's like it's happening to me. Okay. Now, on the other hand, let's flip it. Let's flip it. There's something called the collective giving away to the individual. Just like a healthy individual cannot be, it cannot be that a healthy individual exists for its own self-perpetuation. A healthy individual has to have a greater cause, greater than itself. Same exact thing with a collective, with a community, with a nation, with an institution, with a whatever group, whatever where you have multiple people. It cannot exist for its own self-perpetuation. It has to be there for something greater than itself. In this case, it means that the group sacrifices itself for the individual. Okay, how do you see that? Unfortunately, there's a halacha which has been applied thousands if not millions of times in Jewish history. I say unfortunately because it deals with martyrdom. There's a halacha that if a group of Jews is besieged by their enemies and they are told turn over one of you or we will kill all of you the halacha is you tell them I'm sorry do whatever you want to do but we are not handing over one of us to you now if you would ask logically speaking if you were trying to engineer a society, a group, a minority group that would survive for a long time, would you give them this rule? This rule does not sound like it would lend itself to that group surviving very long. I'm saying if you were engineering, socially engineering this, this thing called the Jews and the Jews are going to be a minority and you want them to last for a few thousand years. You want to keep them around. So what kind of, and they're going to be persecuted, so what kind of laws should you make in, those, in the event that they're, they're, they're being persecuted? I would say, whatever will keep the most of them alive, that's what we're going to do. And comes along this irrational law and says, no, kill us all. We're not giving over one of us. It's counterintuitive, absolutely counterintuitive, that a nation should have that rule and still exist and to have outlived all of its oppressors and to be here for so long. And the only answer is that just like a healthy individual is one that overlooks its own self-interest, a healthy group overlooks its self-interest. A healthy individual overlooks its self-interest by living for the group. A healthy group overlooks its self-interest by living for the individual. The group good gives way to the individual good. So, for instance, <coughs> at one time I was speaking at a Chabad house 
where they had gotten to the point where they wanted to make a nice Shabbaton, they bring out a speaker, okay? I mean, common type of situation for me to be in. And I see these things all the time. Generally, by the time I'm brought to, a, to an event, a Shabbos, this is already where they have been cursed with success. And what I mean by cursed with success is, I see, because I see this all the time. I mean, every other Shabbos, I see another one of these things. You, you have all these people now coming into your, into your institution, and uh, you want to bring them together. Now, they weren't doing this when they first started. You know why they weren't doing it when they first started? First of all, they couldn't afford it. But second of all, maybe even primarily, they had plenty achdos. They had plenty, you know, spirit of, of camaraderie and oneness. You know why? Because there were eight, nine guys sitting there until 11 o'clock trying to get the tenth guy to come in and make the minion, and they were very bonded. And now they have 200 guys, and now the guy who walks in at 11 o'clock by no, no fault of his own, not only does, do you not throw him on your shoulders and give him a ticker tape parade because he made the minion, but you know, maybe even someone will come over and say, uh, you're in my Mokim Kavua, that's my seat. <laughs> so hold on a second. When we had nine guys, we're standing, so this is what I, told, I, I, I said to them, when we had nine guys, I didn't even know that this was true, but I could guess, and it was true. I said, when we had nine guys, we're standing outside, we're looking for the tente, we're looking for that precious, coveted tenth man to bring in the Shechina. When you have 200 guys, who's standing on the sidewalk looking to hop that, that next Jew? The question becomes, are the individuals for the minion, the collective, or does the collective, the minion, exist for the individuals? If you made the minion because you want to have a minion, okay, so you have one. Now you have one. So the minion serves its purpose. You have a minion. Great. And now we're done. And we don't have to go looking for Jews anymore. But if the purpose of a minion is to elevate the individual, to bring in as many Jews as possible, to give them a Jewish experience, then we're not done. Just because we have 200 men, 2,000 men, we still have to stand out on the sidewalk with the same eager anticipation of bringing in one more Jew. Okay? And that's what makes a healthy group. And we see, we see for ourselves, a little commentary here, and I'll get off my soapbox in 30 seconds while I'm getting on. Okay? No institution starts as the soulless, faceless machine that it becomes. Every institution started with a good intention. A group of people got together to address an issue to, to improve the lives of individuals. It always starts that way. And then what happens? The curse of success. It becomes a bureaucracy. It becomes a machine, right? Then there's red tape, and there's, all, there's committees, and there's... And then what happens? It becomes stagnant because the institution exists for the sake of its own self-perpetuation. Why does the organization exist? In order to keep the organization in existence. And that's when it becomes stagnant, it loses its soul, it loses its purpose. And the only way for it to come alive again and regain its soul is for that institution, that organization, that group to say, it cannot just be here for itself, it has to be here for individuals just like the individual cannot be for himself or herself. An individual has to be for the whole, so too. A, a collective, a group, an organization has to be for individuals, yeah. So far, um, you know, you're presenting this as something that people may have to decide, you know, which way is it going to be. The element that's maybe a little bit missing to me, it sounds like, is the idea that this 
is based on the Torah that was divinely given. It's really not ours necessarily to say which way it is. The Torah is telling us that it's both. Okay. That's the whole point. So that's just the that nonsense. when yeah. we're trying to figure out how we should frame our own identity, Torah itself establishes from the very beginning, from day one, from mitzvah one, that you cannot have one without the other. Now the question becomes, how do you have both when they're opposites? And this is the answer. Sevenzach, it depends. If you're talking to an individual, then the individual has to know Judaism is not about individual identity. Judaism is about the greater good. If you're talking to an organization, a group, <coughs> an institution, a school, a shul, a, a gamach, a charity, a, a chesed organization, whatever it might be, a minion, you have to tell the group, the group cannot exist for the sake of the group. The group exists for the sake of the individual. And it's better to, dis to dismantle the group. No! Torah says better to, <laughs> that the whole group should go than to sacrifice, to reject, to give up on one individual. In other words, the word is Mesiris Nefesh. Mesiris Nefesh, all Judaism is, sorry to, to, to spoil it for you, but punchline is the bottom line. Everything in Yiddishkeit, the bottom line is Mesiris Nefesh, giving it all up, complete surrender. So Mesiris Nefesh for the individual is found when you realize that it doesn't matter if it's your laser kit or the neighbor's laser kit, that we're all one person. Doesn't matter who Mendel Bayless was if he lived 100 years ago in, 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 in Russia or if he's in 2020 in, uh, in Cedarhurst. It's all one person. And then conversely, those who are leaders, and those who are not just the leaders, but those who are part of organizations, all of us are part of organizations. I mean, that's just how we function. We function within a society. We have to hold organizations accountable that uh, they should stay true to their original mandate, which was to serve individuals. And uh, an organization cannot... And again, I say this is the, 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 the curse of success. Baruch Hashem, American Jewry right now is very well established. Um, after the war, especially, you know, like... In America, you know, with the, 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 the degree to which Yiddishkeit was organized was, uh, I mean, people were scrambling. They were, they, 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 there was no infrastructure. There, there was no funding. And, 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 and therefore, what did you see? Literally, every leader, every Askan, everyone who cared for the Jewish people, what did they do? They didn't deal with Jewish people as a people. They were out there for individuals. They were going door to door, knocking on doors, trying to get one more kid in a Talmud Torah. Okay? And now that we have these great buildings and institutions, oh, it's all the collective. Oh, and sorry, you know, we don't, we don't, we're full. We can't take your kid, we're full. Okay. Anyways, we'll go back to day one, mitzvah one, korban Pesach. What's a korban? Sacrifice. Who's sacrificed? For the individual, the sacrifice is for the greater good. For the greater good, the sacrifice is for the individual.